Welcome to KUOW's Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. Back in 2005, Seattle announced a 10-year plan to end homelessness. That plan failed. The one-night count of unsheltered homeless people in King County made in 2006 totaled 1,946 unsheltered persons. That total increased to 4,505 in 2016. What to do? Seattle's Mayor Ed Murray and San Francisco's Mayor Ed Lee grapple with that question on a daily basis. Both are keenly aware of the reality of homelessness and serious about finding solutions. The Seattle University Institute of Public Service and the Project on Family Homelessness hosted this conversation with Mayors Murray and Lee to better understand the issues, their efforts, successes, and obstacles. Seattle University Master of Public Administration Director Larry Hubble and journalist Joni Balter moderated this event at Seattle University's Piggott Auditorium on January 11th. Thank you to Sonia Harris for our recording. Good evening and welcome on behalf of uh, Seattle University, of our Institute of Public Service, and particularly the director of the Institute, Larry Hubble. Welcome to Seattle University and the amazing forum this evening on addressing West Coast homelessness, conversation with Seattle Mayor Ed Murray and San Francisco Mayor Ed Lee. Let's welcome our two mayors. I'm Father Steve Sundborg, president of Seattle University, and I get a chance to repeat a line I've been waiting for an opportunity to use. It's uh, Clark Kerr, the, gov- the president of the University of California, once said that being a university president is less like being the CEO of a corporation and more like being the mayor of a city. And I think he meant that, you know, there were irreconcilable constituencies, impossible expectations, long processes, lack of resources, and the equivalent of a city council at a university. So uh, I feel like I- I'm with you this evening. Uh, What a great, great uh, subject this is and what a pride point it is for Seattle University to be able to host such an incredible subject with our two mayors. Uh, I don't need to convince anyone who's here about the importance of homelessness. Um, No one's here that is not convinced about how significant an issue this is. I don't think anyone's here either that hasn't done something about homelessness, but we're looking to see, well, what's the, the best thing to do, what's the smartest thing to do, what's the most adequate and the most appropriate thing to do. Uh, Seattle University is proud that we were the first uh, university in the United States to host a tent city, a homeless encampment on our campus, and it's had a lasting impact. It's sort of embedded in our DNA that making homelessness a particular or specialized kind of interest of our university. Hooray to... Thank you. And hooray to Seattle Pacific University and the University of Washington, who now also are hosting or have hosted uh, homeless encampments. It's not so much about what that does in that period of time that you host, but what it does for your education and your engagement with the issues of homelessness. For me, it helped me to be on the governing board of the Committee to End Homelessness, to visit the homeless encampments in the city, and to be part of the overnight count. We're proud of the Faith and Family Homelessness Initiative at Seattle University, which seeks to engage Uh, faith communities of many different kinds of faith, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, and others, in how can faith communities be galvanized to 
engaged with homelessness. We're proud of a strategic communications initiative we've had to make homelessness more visible and more understood by our, by our peoples. You know, we can't take uh, the blessings that we all have in our two cities of Seattle and San Francisco without accepting the whole reality of our, of our communities. We take such a pride in the kinds of cities we are and who we are and how we've developed and our progressiveness and what our moral purposes are. And yet these are our people. They're part of our community. They're the people that uh, mean so very, very much to us. I think often of uh, Pope Francis in his little comment that he says that when someone tells them that uh, they've given alms to a person, he says, did you look the person in the eye? And the person often says, no. And he says, did you touch the person? And the person says, no. And he says, well, we must look the person in the eye and we must touch the person because it's a person that's deserving of our respect and our presence. And that's what I've found over the years is that uh, the homeless, as much as anything, as indeed to our, our help and our services, want our respect as persons. So let's this evening, let's look homelessness in the eye, let's touch the homeless, let's learn from one another, and let's learn from our two mayors. So welcome to this forum. And now let me uh, welcome uh, the dean of our College of Arts and Sciences of Seattle University, the largest college of Seattle University, of which the Institute of Public Service is a part. Please welcome Dean David Powers. Thank you so much, Father Stephen. Thank you all for joining us here tonight. It's a, a real pleasure and an honor uh, to get to host this event. Uh, it's sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences uh, here at Seattle University and also Seattle University's Master of Public Administration, Undergraduate Public Affairs Program, and the Project of Family Homelessness, all of which are part of the Institute of Public Service, uh, headed by Professor Larry Hubble, who's one of our uh, conveners here today, along with Joni Balter, who is our uh, professional in residence. Um, and we're very happy to have her with us as well. You know, cities up and down the West Coast are, are seeing a spike in the homelessness population. That, that is uh, not a surprise. Uh, many of us here know about that and are aware of that. You know, uh, that, uh, in reflecting on what Father Steve just said, you know, yesterday President Obama said that really we run into a great danger when we think of any of us of being more or less American. Uh, from the perspective of a liberal arts education in the humanities, we run into a danger when we think of people being more or less human and coming from a Jesuit Catholic institution. You know, we think of the, the words of Jesus to consider the least of these, that least means really least powerful, uh, perhaps least considered, least fortunate, but not uh, any difference in value, that everyone is valuable. So I want to mention that. Um, so we're gathered here today to, to learn more about what uh, the mayors are doing in their cities in Seattle and in San Francisco and how they're addressing this very complex issue. I want to recognize some other folks. Um, we have Dean Mark Marcoli from School of Theology and Ministry here with us as well today. I want to thank Council Member, City Council Member Tim Burgess for joining us and really want to thank uh, Fire Chief Harold Scoggins for also being here today. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, we, many, many people in the room here are not observers on this issue, but hard people working hard on this issue in the city. So I'm glad to see so many of you here tonight. Uh, let me introduce uh, our, our guests and our interviewees, uh, guests of honor tonight. Uh, briefly, uh, San Francisco Mayor Ed Lee was elected in 2011. 
In 2015, Mayor Lee pledged that over the next four years, the city would help at least 8,000 people get off the streets and into housing or services that would help them stay permanently off the streets. The city of San Francisco started the Navigation Center, which has quickly become a model for serving people who are homeless. Seattle Mayor Ed Murray was elected in 2013. In November 2015, Mayor Murray declared a state of emergency around homelessness in Seattle. He recently developed the Pathways Home Initiative, a person-centered plan to provide long-term solutions for people currently experiencing homelessness. This plan includes a major transformation of the current service delivery system. I'll hand it over now to Professor Hubble. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Everyone. Thank you, uh, David and Father Steve. Um, before we start, I just want to thank my staff who have put this thing on, and uh, uh, that's uh, Daniel Potter, Lindsay Ohab, uh, uh, also Catherine Henriksen, and Kimberly Golick. Thank you so much for, for doing this. So I want to thank Seattle U for hosting this event. What a wonderful thing to do. I really appreciate it. Thank both mayors for giving us their time. And we'll get rolling. Um, you are both mayors of sanctuary cities, cities that limit cooperation with federal immigration authorities. President-elect Donald Trump, although he probably has a couple other things to do, um, has threatened to cut off federal funding to such cities. I'm wondering if both of you, what plans do you have? How will this affect how you are already providing services to the homeless? We'll start with you, Mayor Ed Murray. Thank you, and let me thank Seattle University, Father Somberg, and the Jesuit community here for hosting this forum and for your commitment to the issue of homelessness. Um, let me welcome uh, Mayor Ed Lee home to his hometown, Seattle. Welcome. So there is no great city in America that isn't a great city because of immigrants. It's in our history. Our cities don't work unless we have immigrants. It's just the way it works. Um, it is uh, what basically what the new administration has done, uh, both through threats and promises and intimidation, is basically say they're going to hurt the economy of our cities and they're going to tear families apart. And so what we said is we will not cooperate with federal authorities under the law. Uh, and we, you know, again, this is a federal system. The power doesn't exist with one person. Uh, we are going to sponsor a series of programs beginning on Inauguration Day at Macaw Hall to work particularly with students in our schools uh, to educate them about their rights, uh, to work with folks who maybe have a path to citizenship to get them there, uh, and again, to reassure people that if you are a victim of domestic violence, call the police department. We are not going to report you based on your document status. If you have a fire or a health emergency, call the fire department. If you need to other access other services, access those services. You are part of this community. You are our neighbors. Mayor Ed Lee, the loss of federal funds, it's, it's, it's a possibility. It certainly has been campaign talk, and it could, could happen. How will you handle that? Well, uh, let me echo my thanks. Uh, and uh, to be here in Seattle, my hometown, where I grew up, born and raised, uh, it's an amazing to come back and be the second Ed. Because every time I'm on show. stage with this mayor uh, and we tackle complex issues, two Eds are always better than one. So that's what I said. <laughs> uh, well, that I'm glad you <laughs> use that. 
Um, I have said this uh, multiple times uh, throughout uh, the uh, ugly uh, voices that we heard in the year-and-a-half-long campaign. Uh, And, of course, it isn't just immigrants and immigrants. It's everything that our cities stand for in terms of diversity, openness, welcoming, support for women, support for families. Um, It's... I had an opportunity then to tell people, if that's how we feel, then let us all, if we lose a friend, and we, I think, are about to lose a friend in the White House, then my response was, what do we do when we lose a friend? We find other friends, and we find more friends, and we renew and, and place the value of our traditional friendships of people who believe in our values to renew them as much as we can. That's what we've done in San Francisco. We've made a general call out to uh, interfaith, uh, to uh, our academics, uh, to every attorney who's ever done a pro bono case in their life, uh, to uh, corporations uh, whose uh, constituents value the diversity. We've called upon everyone in our city to renew those values that brought us to places like San Francisco and the Bay Area. And in doing so, we discovered a tremendous power of thought, a tremendous stream of emotion and heart uh, that stretches everywhere from uh, the Southern California all the way uh, to Canada. And uh, I, I think that has given us uh, a much more clear purpose so that we don't just uh, use the words of diversity and uh, sanctuary and anti-discrimination as just academic words. We actually find ways to live those words in a much more dedicated way. Uh, We need our cities to be strong in in an effort to battle uh, all of the things that we hear uh, that may happen. Uh, I have uh, reminded my board of supervisors that we've got to kind of put down a little bit of our differences because we have a greater enemy. Uh, that's going to attack our cities and our regions and our states. And in order for us to do well, we've got to come together very quickly and make sure that our economies are strong because uh, we are talking about the possibility of fighting over a billion dollars of cuts uh, because we will not end our sanctuary status. We simply won't. So how do you do that? You get people ready because when they're ready, Fear will not rule us. It will be confidence about how we work together. That's how we're going to play this. Mayor Lee, this is the, the first question is for you, from me. Um, the median home price in San Francisco is almost $1.2 million. That's the median. And the median rent price is north of $4,200 a month. Um, how does that impact the homeless situation in San Francisco? And is it time for you to maybe think about changing the rent control laws that you have in the city? Well, uh, rent control is only one, one part of it. It's not the answer, uh, in, my, in my opinion. I, first of all, one of the reasons why we have such incredibly high housing prices is uh, based upon a combination of things. Many people want to move back into the cities. The cities are where culture, diversity, openness, uh, acceptance is happening. 
So clearly there's a, there's a strong move and our populations are growing at a tremendous pace. We have not, and I'd be the first one to make sure we point out all the reasons, but one of the major reasons is we didn't focus on building affordable housing in our city for many, many decades. We were kind of satisfied with rent control. Well, rent control in our city only protects those that are in there already. It doesn't produce more housing. It doesn't help more people. And so we've had to really understand the economics that is going on here, uh, the changes in the job situation, which is why we have to tackle homelessness by not just thinking we can build our way out. We have to do things like increase the minimum wage. We have to make sure there are no barriers in the jobs that people need to have that are going to pay better. And we need to not just look at what our city is doing, even though I'm going to be uh, committed, and I am committed, to building an additional 30,000 units of new housing in the city. Well, we're all on our way by 2020. I'm making sure that a third of it is permanently affordable to low-income people, and half of it is affordable to working class. So we're on our way to doing so, and uh, that housing and that production of housing has already leveled uh, the sharp increase of rents that has been going on uh, for the last uh, seven or eight years. Now, for the first time, we've seen a leveling off, and we believe that with additional housing in the city, it'll slightly go down. But I'm also not foolish to think that our city is alone on this. We can only do so much. In fact, Seattle is much larger in geography than our 49 square miles. So I've also taken the opportunity to say, I'm not going to just be a mayor of San Francisco. I have to be a regional mayor. I have to talk with my, my uh, partner mayors in Oakland, in San Jose, Santa Clara, and San Mateo, to make sure we don't have suburbs surrounding us who, like Brisbane, said, we don't want to build any more housing. We don't want more people. We just want corporations to come in, and we'll get a lot of the revenue from the companies. We have to then respond and we are responding as an entire Bay Area saying, you can't do that. And, and the way we're going to have to respond is with a little bit of enforcement, saying, well, then, then we're going to deny as a region your participation in uh, uh, traffic and transportation funds because that ought to go to where the impacted people live. Uh, transportation and housing are linked. So we're having that conversation as the Bay Area, and you'll see me more and more working not as the mayor of San Francisco, but as a regional mayor working with the state of California to effectuate that change. Unless we attack on a multiple levels this very complex issue of homelessness and housing, we won't get anywhere by being one-dimensional. Thank you. Mayor Murray, um, something similar is happening in Seattle. Although the prices aren't as high in San Francisco, the median price is some, something around $600,000, and rents are something, uh, uh, the median rent is something below $2,000. What do you think, what can city government do to, to make housing more affordable? Sure. I, I think cities can do a lot, and I think Seattle is going to, is and will do, will do more. I just want to take one minute and, and step back and, and talk about homelessness, why we got here, how we got here, which we could spend an hour on, so I will try and do it in one minute. Um, this is what income inequality looks like. Uh, for those of you who've been around for a while, we've talked about the impact of federal cuts since the Reagan administration. We knew what was happening when uh, low-income housing, not even services for the homeless, but low-income housing was cut, homeless services were cut, 
the state is one of the lowest states in providing mental health. Uh, we're pretty towards the bottom as far as addiction treatment. The federal government has receded. When you ask the question about cuts because of um, Sanctuary City, we're roughly $5 billion a year in our budget. We're a smaller city in San Francisco. $85 million is from the federal government. That gives you an indication that the federal government, including in this current administration, has withdrawn support from cities. So when we use the term homeless, it is an issue of housing affordability, but it's also an addiction crisis. When uh, we did some studies recently on who are the unsheltered in our city, 25% come out of the foster care system. So a lot of failed systems end up on our streets. So I think it's important to talk about how we got here before we talk about how we get out of here. So moving to your question, um, you know, Ed, Ed Lee made a, a really good point. When I was a kid, I lived in a city where the main company collapsed, where jobs moved to the suburbs, where the schools emptied out, where schools were sold off for condos, where you could park downtown because there were no jobs downtown. And if you wanted to shop, you went to the suburbs, to the mall. That city was called Seattle. Like San Francisco, cities are back, and that's put a huge pressure on the housing stock. This city, um, urban villages were designed about 26 years ago. So we've been growing, and we've been growing rapidly. Actually, in the three years that I've been mayor, the growth has been tremendous. Almost none of that was permitted while I was mayor. It was permitted before. And the reason I'm, the point I'm trying to get at, as in San Francisco, we did not plan to grow affordably, which is why we find ourselves in this crisis. So we're doing some serious, serious catch-up. So we launched a program in an agreement with many people in this room, uh, in the low-income housing advocates and among developers. The larger term is called HALA, the Housing Affordability Livability Agenda. At the heart of that is that we're going to build 50,000 units over 10 years, 20,000 at the very low end of this, from zero to basically zero to 60. So core to that is doubling the housing levy, which the voters of this city did. And again, when Reagan started to cut housing programs, this is the first city in America to have a housing levy. Another part of it is that in our urban villages, again, in our urban villages, uh, developers can have a floor or two more if they build affordable units. Affordable units that are there for two generations. There are 65 recommendations, but if we end up fully implementing it, and there's pushback in the neighborhoods, if we fully implement it, we will produce three times the number of affordable housing units than we are producing today, which would be the largest in this city's history and, quite honestly, one of the largest in any city's history. So we build this event as solutions to West Coast homelessness. So I was wondering if, if both of the mayors could rattle off two or three things that have worked, are working, or that you expect to work. And we'll start with you, Mayor Lee. Okay. Um, first of all, I, I believe uh, as, the, as the pioneering of this uh, navigation center, I, I take you back that some years ago when I was uh, looking at how we can really start doing some serious uh, solution-oriented approaches, uh, I heard hours of testimony as to how our shelter system had failed so many people. You know what shelters? Go in uh, by 8 o'clock at night. Get out by 6 in the morning. No services, no support, no transformation of anybody's lives. Just that shelter in and out, in and out. And when you go to them, they've over time become dangerous and unworkable. I looked at that and said, that's our answer to homelessness? 
Is those emergency shelters? You've got to be kidding. And so um, I told this to some of the very successful technology companies in San Francisco. See, I'm struggling with this. I, this can't be our best answer. You guys help me find a solution. And uh, one uh, who will remain anonymous, uh, a billionaire literally overnight, one of those IPO tales that uh, we hear about, said, uh, I want to do something more sustainable. And I said, well, uh, provide us with the resources and we will come up with it because I'm dissatisfied what we're doing. So uh, he gave us uh, money, uh, several million dollars, and say, do something better than what you're doing now. And so we created, we studied what was wrong with the shelters. And I wanted a center where you can get 24-7 help. Uh, you can get all your belongings uh, protected. You can have a partner if that's how you survived in the streets or in the shelters. In other words, get rid of these barriers that weren't working and bring in a new concept. And in a matter of several months, we created the first navigation center of 70 people who would come into a center and uh, we would... Uh, oh, by the way, they don't walk in. We picked them. And we were focusing on those that were most chronically homeless uh, that we can identify. And we would invite them in and we'd say, hey, uh, uh, you can come in. And he goes, what do you mean, come in? And I don't want to go to those shelters. Uh, no, you can bring anything and everything. We'll store it. We got storage cabinets identified, uh, showers. Uh, you can transition. And what, what do you mean by transition? Well, we know that generally you sleep in the daytime because at night you have to be awake to save yourself. You can get back to some normality. You sleep off those and get back into a, a mode where uh, maybe if you've got skill sets and so forth, case management, uh, health, services, all of that on site 24-7. Uh, so the Navigation Center now, uh, just two days ago, we're about to open our third uh, and it was in the pouring rain with this atmospheric river that was coming through San Francisco. Pouring rain, I, and I forced all the media to come out with me to prove a couple points. <laughs> uh, we, we have 14 buildings that we're just about to open uh, at the end of next month uh, on our third navigation center where uh, we wanted to demonstrate our commitment that these navigation centers are working because you don't just stay at the navigation centers. They are a place to get you ready for permanent housing. And we will do everything that we can to get you ready. And that's, that's the word on the street. When we, when we tell people we got to end their encampments, they say, well, don't bring me to shelter. But you do have a space at the navigation center, don't you? And that's how the word got out. So we brought the media to this third center in the rain because they thought we would cancel it so, for two reasons. One is we need to allow everybody to feel what it is to be on the streets. And if you don't feel it in the middle of rain and winter and the degrees that it has, you don't have a sense of what we're dealing with, how people are there 24-7. The other was I was excited because there was a resident in the dog patch community who was coming over, and he was saying, I was one of those residents who was approving of the navigation center in my district across from where I live. You know, most people will not do that. 
and he brought his five-year-old child with him. And I wanted the media to expose the fact that navigation centers, the way we've created them, are, should be welcomed in every one of our districts because they are solution-oriented and they will work for people. And that's what we believe in. So that's one answer. I've got others that we're working on. But what I decided to do was break down the challenge of homelessness into several camps. One of them is veterans, and we will end veterans' chronic homelessness by the end of this year, 2017. We have about 225 more veterans we've identified. It won't go away for veterans altogether, but we will end it for chronic homeless veterans. And then we've got a very big public-private approach, a $30 million approach to ending family homelessness in the next three years. And I'll go into detail with you about what we're doing. And then we're going to tackle some of the other uh, sectors of our homelessness, drug abuse and mental illness, in a very deliberate way in, in, uh, that we already are getting ready. But we have to have then a system that will involve the courts, the police, the sheriff, the probation departments. Because I know we were talking about sources of homelessness and broken systems. Guess what the criminal justice system, it is broken when it comes to here. We're early releasing individuals without identifying where they're going to go. And they're coming back from the jails to our society and homeless immediately. Ed, top, top two or three? Sure. Um, first of all, yes. So when I, in the first few weeks I was mayor, um, folks from the Obama administration uh, visited me, the, the folks from the interagency uh, on homelessness. And they pointed out, and I was, I have to tell you, a little taken aback by the conversation, that Seattle was actually not a model for dealing with homelessness. In Seattle, King County, and I should mention that San Francisco is a unified government county and city, and, and we are not. So I actually have less than half of the um, basically the resources that come to homelessness when we talk about um, this. So anyway, they said Seattle, King County is actually not a model. Um, they pointed out that they felt the problem in our system was that we funded providers, we didn't fund clients, we weren't focused on the homeless. Uh, and we were more focused on funding agencies than necessarily outcomes. So we hired some consultants, and for those of you in Seattle, you've probably heard of the Bart Poppy report and, and, and the other reports. And they dug down a little deeper and pointed out what the challenge was. So this is, this is what we did. One of the things that we learned is that uh, um, we need to fund individuals. So, you know, when I've walked through the area under the freeway, sometimes called the jungle, and I've talked to homeless folks, I'll meet an individual who's deeply, deeply depressed and in a state of shock because of death in the families. I'll run across the people who are deeply in the throes of the largest uh, uh, drug addiction that this country has ever seen. I met a woman who wouldn't leave because she didn't want to leave her cat. I met another woman whose husband was in a wheelchair with their son who's disabled but also a sex offender and they could not find housing because of his status. I met the, some of the now young men who were the lost boys of Sudan who are still lost uh, in, in, underneath our freeways. Each of those need a different approach. And so let me give you an example of, of how we've reformed the system. So we've launched, launched this thing called Pathways Home. And when it came to family and children's, uh, the city and the county had a, an approach that basically rated you based on your need. So if you were homeless, basically it said, and I'm being a little, a little 
short here, basically it said, you need to be homeless longer. So if you have a toddler and babies or whatever, we just, you don't qualify because there's people who've been on the street longer. So we went back and we've reworked that system. So today, uh, the city has family outreach teams identifying family with children, particularly in our school system, and immediately putting them into housing, shelter and or housing. So instead of having families on waiting lists, families get housed. Instead of telling people you need to be homeless longer, we're saying we're going to house you immediately. That is a very different approach than we've taken. The other thing is we had a, there was not a unified list, so we now have a unified list. But the list itself is somewhat passive. It again is a rating system. So we've developed teams that take the folks every day on that list and try and identify their individual needs and identify what best meets their needs to get them into housing and get the services they need. Finally, we were invited by Mayor Lee to San Francisco. We're in the, pro in, in the process of, of developing a navigation center as well as... Real quickly, what's the holdup on the navigation center here? So, actually, I don't think there is a holdup in the navigation center. I thought we, it was going to open by the end of the year. Well, the hope was it would, end, it would open by late last year, early this year. We're working on it. Um, um, if, we, if we can find a millionaire who can plop down money immediately. But um, to, on a more serious note, we're, we're working with the Downtown uh, Emergency Service Center and SAC Lunch, who are our partners. One of the biggest challenges we've had is, is actually finding space. So that space has been found. It is being outfitted and retrofitted because there aren't a lot of empty buildings that easily have the showers and bathroom facilities that we need. So that to be uh, seriously, that's what's slowing us down. In addition, um, we are changing our shelter system. Our shelter system sounded mu is much like San Francisco's. People go in it, they go in it, they don't come out of it. If you don't get people out of it into permanent housing, then people on the streets can't get in it. We haven't competitively bid our shelter system in a decade in a decade. So we are both going to competitively bid it for those who can offer the services we need, including services that are lower barrier. You don't have to be clean. You can come in with your partner. You don't have to be tossed out at 6 in the morning. Uh, those are the things that we are working on here. Okay, this question is for both of you. We'll start with uh, Mayor Murray. Uh, let's look at the flip side of this. What hasn't worked? What hasn't worked? What has not worked? So uh, I'll go back to the studies because I think they clearly showed what does not work. The city, uh, the city as a city, not just a city government, but all, kind of also on the conscience of the people, has been very, very focused on the part of the system the studies say don't work, which is shelters and which is dealing with encampments versus getting people into housing and funding things further upstream. Uh, there are programs that we are now funding. I think of one at Neighborhood House. It actually works with families that are about to lose their their apartment or their house. Uh, there's been an accident, someone's injured, someone's lost a job, but in between jobs, it helps fund them and stabilizes them. Uh, it, it basically prevents them from falling into homeless. So again, we know what didn't work and we're learning what works. Mayor Lee, what hasn't worked in San Francisco? You know, I, I would generally have to say the status quo hasn't worked. It, you know, when, when you, and this is where I'm really, really glad to, to see that Seattle University is actually creating an academic approach to this because as complex as it is, there is no one answer. You can't be satisfied with brick and mortar. If I build more housing, it homelessness. No, you got to have the jobs. You got to end discrimination. You got to deal with drug abuse. You got to deal with all these things that have made people's lives because when you hear the stories of how people 
lost their housing, it wasn't just because the rents were 4000 a month. It was that lost job that they couldn't recover from. It was getting that drug uh, addiction that they couldn't get out of. It was not having a health care system that they could briefly get some help in the mental illness challenges. It was nobody was talking about raising their minimum wage so that they can work two jobs instead of three just to survive. You have to look at elements of homelessness from the holistic view. That's why I think it's so important that we have studies about this because preventing homelessness is as complicated and important as it is to treat those that are homeless and it is to sustain those that have recently come out of homelessness. You cannot end homelessness by just brick and mortar. You've got to have supportive services to follow that for years. And that's why when people say, why are you spending $240 million a year and not ending homelessness, Mayor? And I I said, because you don't understand the complexity of why this is such a challenge. Until you do, you're going to think that it'll go away. It's not going to go away. And the status quo of anything that we do is going to kill us, going to kill our solutions. So speaking of the $240 million, I spoke with my friend John Diaz, the um, editorial page editor at The Chronicle. And as you know, and maybe folks here don't know, there was a highly unusual front page editorial uh, last summer in The Chronicle. And one of the many questions they asked is spending that much money. How do you ensure that you're not doing duplicative services to some of the uh, service providers who are you know, sort of wrapped into your budget year after year? How do you make sure you're spending that money efficiently? Well, I, I did a couple of things this year that uh, I think is, uh, uh, caught the attention of a number of people. First of all, I think part of it was to spread the responsibility of treating and dealing with the solutions of homelessness amongst the five different departments that we've been doing over two or three decades. And I looked at that and I said, okay, people in the health department, you touch those folks in homelessness. People in the human services, people on DPW, aspects of our police department. But nobody of any of those employees ever said it was their responsibility to end homelessness for the people that they touched. So I created a singular department to do just that. And I took all of those people that were touching homelessness from the multitude of different uh, uh, community-based agency funding to the health response and said, now I have a singular department on homelessness and supportive housing. I have a director, and I put all 110 people under one roof And now I have an army of 110 people whose defined job is to end homelessness for everybody they touch and come into contact, to figure it out wherever they are at. To me, that's a better money spent than having spent all this money in five different departments and nobody having that mandate to end homelessness for anyone. So different direction here for you, um, Mayor Murray. Uh, there, are per, there are a lot of um, unsanctioned tent camps around the city, and so residents and businesses, people 
are upset about the safety for the people in those places, as well as the garbage that's piling up around the city. What steps are you taking to, to clean those areas up and to get those people into much safer places? So th this is one of the, the symptoms of, of the, the larger problem. And when I talked about um, the reform of our delivery system, Pathways Home, uh, creating more capacity for homeless, getting them matched with the services, um, that's one of the ways we clean it up. Uh, the other thing that we do is, you know, we go in, uh, we have teams. Um, we actually don't do sweeps. There are, there are cities around Lake Washington that do do sweeps. But we do do cleanups. We go in with, with um, uh, multidisciplinary teams of people who try and identify folks who have needs and get them to their services, and get them to services so that we can get in and clean up um, uh, some of the garbage and human waste and the like. We do that for several reasons. It's not just a neighborhood issue. Many of these encampments have the highest rate of rapes. Uh, there are murders. There are assaults. There are people in danger. So we're going in for, for a variety of reasons. Let me use the area called the Green Belt or the Jungle. Roughly, there were about 380 people identified under there. Um, we um, contacted every single one of them about 37 times each. 37 times. That's not a sweep. Of the 380, about 80 people took services. The, other cho the others chose not to. So this is, a, this is a challenge, and there's a lot of reasons. One is we need to fix our shelter system. We're owning that. The other is when someone is in the throes of an addiction, it just isn't going to work the first time, uh, and sometimes even the 37th time. Uh, but we do go in, and we do clean it up. We do offer people services. Um, this... You know, and I, I think it's worth pointing out that this is not, in the end, solvable um, until we solve the issue, the overall issue of homelessness. And the, and the idea of illegal encampments that you see in Seattle and San Francisco, you know, you see them in eastern Washington. You see them in our suburban cities. You see them in our coastal counties. And that's one of the things that concerns me about the conversation that we're having somewhat as a, as a city in Seattle. When I read the San Francisco papers or I read the L.A. papers, these are not a city problem. Something has gone radically wrong in America, and this is a problem throughout Washington state. It is now one of the biggest issues I hear from mayors around the country. And the way it shows itself first is with the encampments that you mentioned. So uh, you folks have cards if you want to ask questions, and now's the time to pass them to the end of the row. Uh, Danielle and Lindsay are coming through. They'll, they'll collect those and bring some of them up here so that your questions can be asked as well. Okay, we've got some lightning round questions here for you. And, yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, we've got some, uh, we'll start with you, Mira Murray. Um, uh, we'd like your views on Safe injection sites. Then I'll also ask uh, Mayor Lee about that. So the question was on safe injection sites. Um, I, I, again, I need to be, um, uh, uh, since public health is actually a county function, this is what we would like to work with the county on. Okay, I don't want to sit up here and, and dictate to the county. I think we should find a way to do them. Um, there were about five people within a 10-block area that overdosed uh, as a result of bad drugs um, over about a 24-hour period. I think that I got the number right. I'm looking at my fire chief here. Um, 
bad drugs, bad batch, sold somewhere in that 10-block area in North Seattle. Um, if we had a safe injection site and we could monitor what people are injecting until we can get them in treatment, those people would be alive. And I know this is, in Canada it was very interesting when we visited there, there wasn't this question about aren't you enabling them? And, and it was, no, we're keeping them alive, and that's at least a start. I think we have a bit of a, a Puritan strain in our DNA here that says, well, we shouldn't enable people to do something that's bad for them. But I absolutely think we should find a way to do it. And there are significant legal challenges at the national level. So uh, not to put the county on the spot, they're in a tough situation. Merrily. Safe injection sites. I, this is where I, I may learn more from Seattle than adopt my own. But we're, I have to say we're open. I had to kind of force myself to be open to that idea because it doesn't come as a natural thing. Now, we are uh, already, uh, we provide free needles very comprehensively throughout the city. And of course, we're now having to make sure we pick them up uh, and do well on that side of it. Uh, we have a lot of uh, programs that are community-oriented and community-based that are free for drug addiction. So we have a wealth in, in those kinds of support and services. My question is, there's a lot of individuals. If you think having free injection sites, are they going to voluntarily walk in? Is that, where they, is that the concept? Or do we force them to go in uh, there and get off the streets? I don't know how that's going to work because the sense of freedom on our streets is such that, hey, leave me alone. I'm doing my own thing, and they don't want to be bothered. Uh, so this is where I'm trying to understand what is, what is the concept of free injection sites? How does that really work? I'm watching that, and I have to be open to it, especially if our health people who are studying it determine that that could help. But I'm trying to measure that. So you're still on the fence on that? You haven't come to a conclusion as to whether safe injection sites or something? That's right. I'm, I'm open to, to, to understanding it better. Okay. Okay, here's another one. We'll start with Mayor Lee on this one. Um, declaring uh, that homelessness, a state of emergency regarding homelessness. Well, we, we were willing to do that, but we didn't see a utility. We are sitting county, as Mayor Murray has said, so we, we pretty much have our own funds, and the state... Uh, if, if by declaring an emergency the state would give us more money, we would have gladly done that, but that wasn't going to do it. Uh, what we are joining the other mayors with and, uh, is that by that declaration, you've got to have the practical effect of freeing more resources up or, or breaking down some barriers that don't exist. And we didn't see utility to doing that in San Francisco, to point. But in joining, and this is why we're working with mayors in the entire West Coast, if we all together as mayors who are confronting this uh, know that it is an emergency, we accept it as an emergency, what are we practically trying to get the federal government to do? And we have to have that practical effect. Let's start getting them to free up those resources where they have failed to do so, whether it's a mental, mental illness or whether it's drug abuse or whether it's housing monies that they can do a lot better on. Mayor Murray. So declaring a state of emergency and, and giving myself emergency powers is, is no small thing. Um, and I struggled with it for a long time. There were people in this room who felt that I moved too slow in, in doing it. But we did it for several reasons. One is people are dying on our streets. 
Uh, more people have died on our streets in any given year than died in the landslide up, up north. Um, it did allow me to move uh, additional resources quickly. It did allow me to uh, deal with some of the zoning and siting issues more quickly. And I also felt that it was very important to send, even if it was a moral message, a message as in an earthquake to the state and federal governments that there is a crisis, there are people dying on our street, and it is time for the federal government and the state government to step up and once again be our partner on homeless. No city in America can solve this problem by itself. And I know this is not a time where people are feeling hopeful about the federal government, but I particularly want to encourage, I know, so an understatement. Yeah. Okay. So, but I, I do want to encourage people not to lose that, that vision because folks, HIV AIDS, and this reminds me a lot of the HIV AIDS crisis where there are a lot of great nonprofits trying to keep people alive and people were dying um, all over the place. We would not have saw people live if the federal government had not stepped in and become our partner. We can do a lot to make sure that people in our cities live and get shelter and get treatment, but we cannot solve this or get control on this without a federal government. So if it's not this year, if it's not next year, then it has to be in four years. So I wanted to ask about um, housing first. As Salt Lake City gets a lot of good praise for what they've done, but if Housing First, which um, provides housing first uh, as an unconditional thing and, and uh, takes care of the underlying problems later, if it originated in San Francisco and Seattle has 1811 Eastlake, uh, so you have, you have both cities doing this, is Salt Lake City doing something better than you're doing? They're just getting better press? What is it? Well, you know, Salt Lake City is about 250,000 people, and um, I think there are differences there. But actually, Seattle King County, again, the United effort, did housing first. The 10-year plan that ended the year before I became mayor identified every unit that was, that was needed to be built to end homelessness on housing first but we have more homeless people today than we did before. Not because we didn't get housing first right, because I actually think people who worked on that got it right, because the problem is much larger than anyone ever anticipated. Mayor Lee, about that. I read somewhere that San Francisco was first on this, but, it, but people don't cite San Francisco for this. That's right. I, I, I think that there is a tremendous difference in uh, what's happening in Salt Lake City and the complications that we're facing in as major cities on the West Coast. Uh, I do think we have uh, not only a population difference, I think we have uh, differences in economies, uh, where the job situations are, potentially our criminal justice system is very different, and it presents all these challenges that may not uh, have the same bearing in Salt Lake City. Okay, well, one of the uh, reasons why Salt Lake City claims that they've been fairly successful in this is that they have placed a special emphasis on creating more housing outside the downtown core. Uh, is that something that Ed, or that, I'm sorry, no. Mayor Lee, that you would consider? We're just going to say Ed, and whatever happens. Mayor Ed? And yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I am uh, a strong believer, not just outside the downtown core, outside of the city core, also, and again, I go back to the comments earlier, we have to approach the housing crisis as a region uh, because it's not just uh, the picture of those that are homeless today. 
a lot of people tell me they're two or three paychecks away from being homeless or a one serious health event from becoming homeless. And that means that our working class folks are a very sensitive bunch that can, that can become homeless. And so I've got to approach this from that angle about having a regionalism around more affordable housing, which I think is at the heart of it, and then, of course, all the supportive services to treat those that have, that have suffered the ailments of homelessness for many decades. Mayor Murray. So Seattle is twice the size of San Francisco as far as geography. So I actually think we have room in, within the city to build more affordable housing. But we also need our suburban cities to step up and develop affordable housing programs that are far more aggressive. We also need them to step up, and we're in conversations with them, about allowing churches to have shelters uh, in suburban cities, not just in the city of Seattle. Uh, so it is a regional, there is a need for a regional solution. Mayor Lee and then Mayor Murray, both cities have helped thousands of people um, move indoors. That's absolutely true. But both cities have also tried and failed. They've both had um, plans to end homelessness. They've, they haven't ended homelessness. Is it reasonable to say that we can ever solve this problem without getting a dent on poverty? I don't think you can. I, I think... I, I think when you talk about ending homelessness, and I, and I make clear I can never promise to do something I know is not possible, is to enlighten people about the complexities and the causes of homelessness so that we can do as much as we can to prevent it. If you don't have good jobs for working folks, if you don't have a return policy for veterans to welcome them back in, and to make sure that all the troubles that they had can be treated well. If you don't have a coordination of services for folks, if you don't have affordable housing, if you don't sustain the support services for those that you've been able to get into housing so they don't go back to the bad practices uh, and engage themselves into failed outcomes, if you don't do all of those other things, you are, you are talking, really, a sense of approaching poverty and how to solve poverty. I don't think you can solve homelessness without having a really great approach to solving poverty in general and also to end discrimination and end the barriers uh, to life successes. Mayor Murray. And Danielle and Lindsay, if you're out there, bring those questions up. Okie dokes. We'll take them. Yes, go. The, uh, your question was, can we really get at homelessness without dealing with poverty? I, I opened my remarks by saying this is what income inequality looks like. Um, there are two books that I re recommend for my staff to read. One is called Our Kids by Robert Putman. The other is Eviction or Evicted by Matthew Desmond. So we have basically, over the decades, almost four decades, undermined the middle class, shrinking wages, jobs disappearing, um, housing affordability options uh, disappearing as well. So, as I said, unless we address the underlying causes of homelessness, which are rooted in poverty, 25% of folks who are homeless were in our foster care system. The city has a 6% black population. It is estimated that 30% of the homeless in our city are black. That 
deals with racism and institutional racism. So you cannot get an any homelessness unless you get at these things. In cities, you know, whether, whether the work we've done together on minimum wage, the work we're doing together in expanding affordable housing, cities can be models, but those models have to be taken to scale. We can't be little bubbles. Okay, this question uh, is for both of you, and we'll start with uh, Mayor Murray. Uh, it's from our audience. Uh, communities of faith, mosques, synagogues, and congregation uh, have a wealth of social capital and material means that can be used to tackle social problems. Yet due to narrow technocratic approaches to problem solving and community development, these resources remain untapped. What measures have you taken to, le to leverage the resources of local faith communities to more effectively address the problems of homelessness in Seattle? So we convened, um, I believe it was last year, um, or maybe it was in late 2014, Father Somberg and I uh, convene faith leaders here at Seattle University to talk about how the faith community can partner with the city and the county um, in being our partners when it comes to dealing with homelessness. Now, let me give you an, one example of, of a faith organization that has made a difference. Uh, Union Gospel Mission um, was one of the main players to help us get people services in the area called the jungle. Um, and some people were criticizing them because they weren't politically correct on everything, particularly some issues I care about. But when we were, when we went down there, and I was, I met one of the men who has, was, was packing up his bag because he was going into housing and getting treatment, he pointed to his shoes. And he said, you see these shoes? That guy, and it was one of the guys from the religious organization, that guy gave me his shoes and he walked out of here without his shoes. So faith communities have been an incredible partner. If there are things that we can do um, to be partners with them even more, um, and let me mention um, uh, the Muslim community's uh, incredible days of outreach to the homeless that happen in this city on a regular basis. Uh, uh, we've, we've traditionally had a very strong partnership with our Interfaith Council, which is all of the denominations in San Francisco. In fact, it was the Interfaith Council that started our entire winter shelter program in San Francisco for many years, and I've been very proud to do that. As I said earlier, these things that have happened over years have allowed San Francisco not to experience the 21% jump that many of the city's uh, homeless population had, had felt or, or had responded to in the last decade, where we were able to keep our population at a state level but not necessarily decrease it in a dramatic way. So when I said earlier, you shouldn't ever be satisfied as status quo, that's exactly that. I even looked at how the Interfaith Council was working with us and to have a conversation, which I did, that we should not be satisfied with what we've done thus far. We still have to do more. And so uh, several requests to work with the Interfaith Council have resulted in their surveying every piece of property that the churches and the synagogues and the Catholic charities and all of them own and see whether we can come together economically to build more affordable housing or have navigation centers there. To change their shelter system to model more closely to the navigation centers because they have a lot of shelters. But having weekend parishes open up is still not going to be good enough. And then finally 
to do something that politicians often do. You tell them to guilt trip their constituents. Take the pulpit. Guilt trip those ones that do have means that will go to your church and ask them what are they doing to help the mayor end homelessness. And guess what? It works. Let me tell you, it works. Because I have several billionaires in the city uh, who go to certain churches. And when the call went out the public, I got some phone calls back. Guess what? Philanthropy resulting from the call from the pulpit is going to help me end family homelessness in the next three years to tune of $30 million in the private sector. So we have a budding journalist in the audience who, who says to you, Mayor Murray, you did not answer the first question. What is your funding plan if federal funds are cut off? Remember that? Sure. <laughs> so in the last three years, I've increased funding for homeless by 40%, the largest single increase in our city at any single time. Um, we went to the voters in August, and we asked them to double their property tax. That's both commercial and uh, residential, not just residential. And the voters said yes by 70%. So we're stepping up big time when it comes to uh, funding homeless services. If the federal government fails to come forward, if the state continues to be um, paralyzed, um, maybe we'll have to go back to the voters again. Um, we have competing needs in this city. We have other issues of poverty and racism that we need to deal with. Um, so it's a balancing act. But certainly, as I said uh, earlier or late last year, um, another funding proposal to the voters on homelessness is certainly something I would consider. But I think we need to acknowledge a 40% increase in the doubling of taxes. The city has been incredibly generous. I think the audience is a little tougher than we are. Uh, here's one for Mayor Lee. Why do you allow people to urinate in the streets? You know... I tried to stop someone one day. <laughs> How did that wow, go? Wow, that was a bear. <laughs> he just turned around and, you know, gave me the finger or something. The other. I, it's not that we're allowing it to happen. Um, we have to understand. And here's, here's what I'm doing in response. I mean, the, the encampments and people say they don't have an alternative. Well, we're giving them alternatives. I have... Um, what they call uh, the uh, uh, roving porta potties. I don't know if you've experienced that. Uh, we actually funded nine teams of roving porta potties where we bring them into areas of the city that are experiencing individuals who are defecating, urinating on their streets and in their alleyways to give people an alternative and do that. And we actually have formerly homeless individuals who we employ to bring those out to each in the neighborhood. So that's concretely what we're doing. We're also, uh, we have these public toilets, and again, we hear the excuse, I couldn't find a toilet, that's why I did it. Uh, that uh, we have these J.C. Decaux, these French toilets that are around the city as part of the advertising. And uh, they were really... F uh, centers for uh, abuse, for prostitution, uh, for complete uh, break it, breakdown. So we've hired, again, formerly homeless individuals. We have 
public toilet monitors now. And guess what? Each of the public toilets that used to experience a couple hundred flushes a day are now in the thousands per week because the public toilets are being monitored so that people don't abuse them and use them for the right reasons and purposes. And the visitors and the tourists are also using them and don't have an excuse. So there are concrete ways to provide. So we're not permitting urination on the streets. We are trying to provide the alternative uh, so that that doesn't happen the way it has happened. Mayor Murray, I'm going to read you two questions which are sort of in the same vein. Why do you think so many transient homeless and drug addicts are migrating to Seattle? And what is your reasonable, what is your response to Freeattle or what many homeless call Seattle? Well, I bet that you hear that too, don't you? That people are migrating to um, San Francisco. And um, you probably also, uh, I, I, we were with the mayor of Honolulu and some of his people say that we're putting homeless people on planes and sending them to Honolulu. Honolulu, you may know, has the most, the, the, the largest homeless crisis in the nation. Actually, Hawaii does as a state. Um, you know, all the studies I have seen indicate that most of the people who are homeless have been living in this area for about five years. And by the way, um, you know, I'm actually, Mayor Lee is, and I have something in common. We're actually from here. Most people these days are not from here. So, yes, maybe some homeless people are not here or are not from here. But more often than not, they didn't come to spend time in our weather. Uh, and for those of us who are natives and have camped outside, it's not that pleasant. Um, they didn't come here because our services are necessarily better. As you heard, we have some real challenges with our services. They came here because we have a lot of jobs and they got hurt in a construction accident. Or they got here and they were kind of on the edge anyway and that, that, that job in the restaurant didn't work out and they lost their job. Um, that's how they ended up in homelessness. I know that when you see people in the encampments, you often think, God, that just looks, they just look like they're a bunch of you know, whatevers. But mostly what you're seeing is mental illness. Uh, and addiction, not people who are freeloading. Um, so it, it's a myth, and I think it fails to acknowledge that cities and towns in eastern Washington are experiencing homelessness, that our national forests are experiencing homelessness, that a city like Aberdeen, Washington, where you can find a house for practically nothing compared to Seattle, has homeless populations in their parks. It's not Seattle is Freeattle. This is a question for both of you, and we'll start with Mayor Murray. What role do you think density regulations and restrictions play in decreasing the housing supply, and how do you plan on address addressing this? Well, I, I, think when you, I think when you stop growth, um, everything becomes more affordable. In our urban villages, we're proposing that to allow a one- or two-floor um, upzone if people build more affordable housing. But, you know, we often hear from folks who don't allow any more growth. If you don't allow any more, they say because, you know, that cottage will, will be affordable, uh, you know, that little craftsman cottage. What happens is when you stop growth is uh, uh, that craftsman becomes incredibly expensive, uh, as we have seen in this city. So the issue isn't 
And again, I'm not about to plow under people's single-family neighborhoods, despite some of the signs that you see around town of me with a bulldozer. Um, I haven't well, seen those. Yeah, they're Are cute. They um, <laughs> but, but it really comes back to what I said about Hala. The, the question isn't really growth. I mean, you need to grow, and you need to grow in a way where density happens around transit and, and the like. But you really need to grow, and you need to require that you're building affordable housing in those areas where you can grow, which, again, should near be near transit because that's the second biggest expense people face uh, after their housing. So I, I, I absolutely believe you can grow smart and you can grow affordably. Um, I think we've grown smart, but we have not grown affordably. Merely. Um, so I grew up in public housing on Yesler Way in Seattle. That was my, my beginning years. Um, and when I was lucky enough to be appointed and then elected as mayor, I kind of made a promise to myself that I would take another look at where I came from. And I came as a public housing resident. And I promised the residents of San Francisco, you would never be referred to as public housing residents. You were referred to as San Francisco residents. And here's how I'm doing it. The very first thing I did in my very first year as mayor was to put together a $1.3 billion housing trust fund. To do what? <laughs> to fulfill a promise that I made to myself. I'm going to rebuild every single public housing dilapidated unit in San Francisco, and I'm going to get rid of and make extinguish the housing authority. So we're already there. We're, we're halfway there. And guess what I discovered in that cause? I discovered that all of that poverty housing and public housing in San Francisco was on uh, badly designed kind of army barracks, 1950s design, where space wasn't considered, design wasn't considered. So in knocking down uh, what we're doing now in the middle of it, knocking down all the public housing, I discovered affordable land that I can densify and invite the private sector in to be a partner. And in the combination of rebuilding public housing, never as isolated public housing, but as integrated communities, I discovered this is where my affordable land is to build the density and its smart growth and that I can accomplish a number of goals to never allow isolated poverty communities to exist again so that there are black communities in the southeast sector of San Francisco. And I promise them, you will live in great communities. You will not be displaced. You will be part of the construction teams, the design teams. We are doing so, and we are discovered that in this public-private approach to rebuilding all of our public housing, we found the affordable land, and we created a density in which that can happen. So we've got our initial models out, um, and I, I won't, may, may not see all the rebuild in my lifetime as a mayor, but I certainly will see half of it done. Um, and I'm very proud of that because that came from just thinking, where did I come from uh, originally? It wasn't just Seattle. It was public housing in Seattle. And I knew that going forward, I didn't want that experience to happen to the people that I associated with. Um, Mayor Murray, you have another question that says did not answer. 
Uh, what is the cleanup plan for the accumulated garbage in current encampments under, on, freeway, and on airport road? Okay, so um, l let me try this again. So we're, we've developed an uh, interdepartmental approach. So we have folks who have, uh, and we work with nonprofits, we have individuals who go out and try and um, get people to move out of encampments. Uh, most of the visible encampments I mentioned are actually on, on state right-of-ways, state property. So we work with WashDOT. Um, we're trying to improve that relationship with WashDOT. Um, those teams go out. They try and sort out um, people's property uh, so that we can help store the property. There is no – let me back up. The whole thing I'm describing, you know, cities are really good at, um, uh, you know um, – keeping the lights on, making sure the sewage system uh, runs correctly, um, the water. So trying to figure out how to clean up encampments in the middle of a crisis that is growing across this nation is something that we don't have right, but we're trying to figure out. So intervention teams, um, uh, connecting people, uh, trying to help storage, and then we physically go in there and we clean up the garbage. Um, that's been our approach. In some areas, we've been more successful than others. Uh, the area known as the Green Belt or the Jungle is now cleaned and is empty. Um, again, in some areas, we're more successful than the others. Um, we're not going to arrest people, um, but we will move people when we offer services and they're in an area that they shouldn't be in, um, and we will move them. This is for both of you, and we'll start with Mayor Murray. What efforts have your respective city governments and partner organizations made to evaluate clients who have left rapid rehousing programs? So I don't know. So I'd, I actually don't know what we do as far as evalu post evaluation of people who've been in rapid rehousing. Um, so I would have to tell you that one. I don't have an answer for. Um, yeah, I'm not so sure. I have a specific answer to that I do know one thing, and I, I uh, I've been discovering again uh, by not accepting the status quo. We've we've been helping homeless for over a decade. And we now can identify those homeless who we put in supportive housing. And here's the distinction between affordable housing and supportive housing. We've had a number of residents in supportive housing, which is very expensive. You have services on site that over the years have no longer the need for that on-site supportive services. So to be able to move them then into the affordable housing that we're building and then use their units to invite the new, uh, the additional 8,000 homeless that we have on the streets into those units that are already there is an incredible transformation for them. I'm looking forward to that because uh, it means that people should, we, we should also have our homeless not be satisfied just for where they're at. They can transform into affordable housing, which in many cases are better and newer uh, as we get the supportive housing that we've had to those that are in need of it. So moving tenants and residents through the systems to better their lives and to get off of the support that they may not need is, I'm looking forward to that because that's another transformation that we can do and that might free up hundreds of units that we don't currently exist. I'll ask the last question. Many a mayor has come into office in both cities promising to make a difference in homelessness. Is the problem intractable? 
Mayor Lee, one of your predecessors actually said the problem is intractable. So what do you say? Um, is it intractable? Is it, does it make you vulnerable as a mayor if you say I'm going to end homelessness or I'm going to fix homelessness or I'm going to do better on homelessness? Well, first of all, I, I, I have to credit Gavin Newsom, my predecessor, because he, he coined the phrase care not cash. You know, at the time, everybody was feeling satisfied. They gave cash to people on the streets. Uh, that, that was the way you solved it. And he said, that's, that's not a way. It's got to be care, and care has many, many different levels. And I kind of, kind of formed my opinions through that system. And so what are we doing to care for people so that they, they are either prevented or help them out of homelessness? I have been very careful never to say I'm going to end homelessness. But I've been very direct that if I touch people and if I get them out of the street, if I dissolve their encampment, I'm going to end homelessness for them. And that's a little different, but it's, a, it's much more of a personal commitment. But it's one that reflects our values. That That's why I had to create a singular department. I didn't want people touching homelessness and thinking they ended it and the $240 million a year that we do. I actually want a result to happen for that person that we touched, that we brought into the Navigation Center. Um, and when we do bring in people to the Navigation Center, it is the end game of the Navigation Center. It is not a solution. The Navigation Centers are great, but they do not do anything unless that person's life gets into permanent housing that they can be in with the supportive services. That's what makes the Navigation Center different. And that's why I can assure you that when we create these Navigation Centers, I'm not about proliferating them all over the city. That's what some... Oh, you may have as many as five, right? Well, yeah, I, I might need 11 uh, in order to get to the, to the scaling that we need. But I have to back up each one of the Navigation Centers to have the permanent housing solution for everyone that we bring in. And if I don't do that, there's no use for me bringing people through the Navigation Center. And so people know that. The homeless on the streets know that. That's why they prefer to go to the Navigation Center to the shelter, because they know, they know the difference, and they know that we made that promise. Mayor Murray, do such promises make a mayor vulnerable for, because the problem is somewhat intractable? Well, I was in Vancouver when we went to look at the um, safe injection sites, and the mayor of Vancouver um, said that when he came into office, I think eight years ago, um, he had made a commitment to end homelessness, and it's worse in Vancouver, British Columbia, than, than it's ever been. Um, you know, I, if it makes us vulnerable, it makes us vulnerable. I, I, I think that the human misery um, that I see every day uh, on our streets, um, the stories I hear from our staff people that struggle every day and every night to try and get people the help they need and move them into stable situations and get them the treatment they need. It is simply one of the most painful, if not the most painful thing I've ever dealt with in my life as a person or as an elected official. Um, I absolutely believe that it's solvable. Um, I do. I think it is solvable. I think the country has the wealth to solve this issue. What worries me about our ability to solve it is 
Right now, I'm going to say something sort of as a Seattle Democrat progressive, um, uh, someone who was considered very left when, by the stranger before I became mayor, and now I'm not, or something like that. But anyway. Um, that whole thing with the stranger. No, no. Again. Love them. Love them. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm trying to say something fairly serious. It is, you know, it is something that has touched Addiction and homelessness is something that has touched people. I know it's something that I experienced a little bit myself as a, as a toddler. It is, it is a devastating situation. But what worries me about the discussion we're having in Seattle is it's almost always, it's an unusual situation. When I, when I think about having been in the State House and represented this area in the State Senate and now as mayor, the conversation is so polarized that it worries me about our ability to model for this nation about how you deal with issues of poverty and inequality, and in particular, homelessness. I hear so intensely from people that they know absolutely who the homeless are and what their problem is and how to resolve it. And the opinions are so dramatically different um, from the demonization of the homeless to sainting the homeless to seeing every homeless as a criminal, which very few are actually, um, to seeing as homeless, uh, homeless as incapable of committing a crime, of seeing the problem as simply something that has to be solved by the nine members of the city council and the mayor. And I'm willing to own it. I love this job. I know what comes with it. So it's, if we're vulnerable, fine. You know, that's what elections are about. But the conversation that we're having as a city and I would say when I read newspapers around the nation, or at least up and down the West Coast, the progressive movement is not having a conversation with itself about this. And to me, that is what really worries me. It worries me that if we really want to make sure that the kids who are going to sleep on the streets of this city tonight, the city I am mayor of, if we really want to do something, we have to have a different conversation. We have to accept each other and accept each other's um, integrity on this issue. Uh, otherwise, we will not be able to model this for the, for the nation, and we will look like sort of a left version of what we see going on in D.C. So uh, having said that, I want to I say one last thing. When I talked about the need to reform our system, it wasn't the providers who are the problem. It is how the city has chosen to deal with the system. The providers who are in this room tonight and who work on these issues 24-7 are doing good work. We have to get our act together and fund, get our funding streams correct so that they can do their work better. And that's kind of where I was coming from when I talked about reforming the system. It's the city and the county that need to reform. Before we conclude this event, I can't help but promoting our next one, which I think you'll find very interesting. We don't have the date yet set, and we don't have the speakers, but I think you'll really enjoy who the speakers But I swear they're coming. Here's the topic. And it's very important not only to the Seattle University, but also the Institute of Public Service because of our commitment to social justice. And that is public service in the age of Trump. So look for Be it. Be there. Be there. Thank you, mayors, for coming tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Ed Lee, for coming all the way from San Francisco.
Thank you, audience. What a lovely audience. Thank you. Thanks for streaming this episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9 Seattle. Seattle Mayor Ed Murray and San Francisco Mayor Ed Lee spoke at Seattle University's Piggott Auditorium on January 11th. Thank you again to Sonia Harris for our recording. Tune in again soon. <laughs>